Hey, good morning, everybody. It is good to worship the Lord with you all. Uh, the Lord is filling my heart back there while we were worshiping. And uh, anyway, my name is Jason Espy. I serve here as an elder, and I'll be doing the scripture reading today. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, flip on your phones. It's going to be 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. All right, verse 1 says, You therefore... My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. And last verse. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Uh, Obviously, I'm not Byron. Uh, I think he's out of town. He didn't tell me, uh, and I didn't ask. He said, do you want to preach? And I said, yes. So (laughs) thank you for uh, allowing me to stand before you today. As always, it's a great pleasure for those of you who are not familiar with who I am. I know we've got some guests uh, in the auditorium today. Uh, my name is Bobby, uh, and I am just a member here. <laughs> but uh, I do serve as a pastor at the Vision and as the activities director there, and uh, which is a Christian camp and conference center here in South Huntsville. And uh, it's it's always an honor to open up the Word of God. I treat it seriously when I do. And what we're going to be opening up to you this morning is one of my most favorite books in all of the Bible, Second Timothy. And this is actually one of my most favorite passages in all of the Bible. It's the passage that the Lord has connected to my heart and used to steer me in my life. And having said that, this passage has really uh, raked me over the coals over the past couple of weeks that I've been trying to prepare for it and uh, trying to understand it. You can never fully understand. You dig and dig and dig, and the, and the Word of God just keeps opening up and gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But hopefully we can open up some things this morning that will be of some use to you. I believe we will. God will bless his words as proclaimed. So, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Title for the message this morning is Strength for Service. Strength for Service. And uh, I want to start with just uh, an illustration. It comes from the Army. In 2005, the United States Army had missed their recruiting numbers by the widest margin in almost two decades. So they had an expectation, and they fell so terribly short of that expectation. They were scrambling, trying to figure out why they were missing the numbers so horribly. The experts attributed uh, the low recruiting numbers to two major factors. 
The first, obviously, was the war in Iraq. Nobody wants to sign up during war times. But the second major factor that they had uh, thought was really affecting their numbers was their terrible advertising slogan, Army of One. That was the slogan at the time. And many experts felt like this slogan, and this is a quote, not my terms, the slogan was a real loser. So the slogan seemed to promote this idea that you could come to the army and preserve your individuality. Well, the army knew that they needed to change that slogan. They needed to change that mentality. And so they launched a billion-dollar campaign on November 9, 2006, with a slogan that they hoped would put a little more punch uh, back into the recruiting numbers. And that slogan was Army Strong. Any of you guys military people? I know we have some in here. Any of you joined between 2006 and 2018? Okay, so you joined under Army Strong. (laughs) All right, so what the Army wanted to convey with this slogan was the idea that if you joined the Army, you would gain not only physical and emotional strength, but also strength of character and strength of purpose. The first two-and-a-half-minute video that the Army released as part of their mass media campaign said this, I quote, Webster defines strong as having great physical power, as having moral or intellectual power, as striking or superior to its kind. But with all due respect to Webster, there's strong, and then there's army strong. It's a strength like none other. It is a physical strength. It is an emotional strength. It is a strength of character and strength of purpose, the strength to do good today and the strength to do well tomorrow, the strength to obey and the strength to command, the strength to build and the strength to tear down, the strength to get yourself over and the strength to get over yourself. There is nothing on this green earth that is stronger than the U.S. Army. Because there is nothing on this green earth that is stronger than a U.S. soldier. Strong. Army strong. Now, I must confess to you, I've never served in the military. It's one of my great regrets in life, but that just wasn't the course and the plan that God had for me. But as I was sitting down to prepare this message, this commercial popped in my head. So whatever they had hoped to accomplish in their messaging, it rang true. It it. it remained with people for a long period of time, even those that never signed up. And so their messaging campaign worked. And one of the things that the Army finally realized that navigated them into this direction was that you cannot find strength, the kind of strength that they were looking to promote in individuality. They understood that the kind of strength that they were looking to build into the army came by your association to the army. The same can be said of a believer. We are not strong on our own. Our strength comes from the grace that we receive in Christ Jesus. 
And that's a bit of a complicated statement if you really sit down and try to unpack it, which we're going to do today. But what I want you to receive this morning, the big idea is we get strength from grace. We need strength for service. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you again for your word, for the reading of it, for the proclaiming of it, through the music, uh, for those that you have brought to us to minister to our hearts, for those gifts to your church, for the gift of your spirit, Lord, that lives within us, that uh, comforts us and encourages us and strengthens us and points us to Jesus and uh, calls out Abba Father. Lord, we're grateful for the the work of your spirit in our life. We're grateful for the grace that reached into our darkness and rescued us into your marvelous light. Help us to get our hearts and our minds around where our strength comes from. I pray that as we open your word and we discuss it, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts and our attention. You'd help us to respond to it in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to start with a little context. You know, verse 1 of chapter 2 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need a little context. You can't just jump into chapter 2 and not really have any kind of an overview of what the, the book is about. So what we need to understand as we jump in here is that Timothy needed strength. And Paul knew that Timothy needed strength. Paul, who is the author of the letter, wrote to his young protege, his son in the faith, um, to encourage him, to motivate him uh, toward this end. And Paul, uh, this... For any, any pastor, any minister who has a heart to proclaim the truth, a teacher, whatever you are, your heart is somewhat bound to Paul's. If, if you're a teacher, a minister of the Word of God, your heart is bound to his because he wrote so much of the New Testament, so much of what we know about Jesus, so much about what we know of his expectation for us is bound up in Paul's teachings. Everything we know about being a teacher is bound up in his teachings. And so he is the resource that many ministers go to and look to uh, for help to mold themselves into the proper shape. And, and so this letter is of tremendous significance to any man of God because it's one of the last letters that Paul wrote. It is the last letter that he wrote as far as we know. It was wrote uh, during his last imprisonment. Um, Paul knew that this particular imprisonment was going to lead to death for him. He was certain of it. In fact, he mentions it in this very letter, chapter 4, verse 6, says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Paul knew his life was winding down. He knew that this prison sentence would lead to death. And the thing that was most important to him in his last Days was this message that he wanted to convey to Timothy. These are literally his last words to us. So knowing the end was near, Paul writes to the one person that he had hoped that he would be able to pass down his ministry mantle 
to Timothy. He had been training Timothy. He had been discipling Timothy. He had been spending time with Timothy, passing on all that he could pass on to Timothy. And one of the things that we also need to understand before we go a whole lot further, Timothy was a pastor. Timothy was an under-shepherd. Uh, so uh, he, he served in an official office in the church. So this letter is unique in that respect in that it was designed and tailored specifically for Timmy, Timothy's ears and heart. But the Holy Spirit inspired this letter and caused it to remain in the Scripture because the benefit isn't just for Timothy. The instruction isn't just for a man of God. A lot of the things that you're going to hear, very narrow focus in that direction. But don't discount anything that you're going to hear this morning. Because in some respects, we are all ministers of the Word of God. And the things that are said to Timothy, we need to receive on a certain level. Okay? So open your ears and open your heart and allow God to speak to you. In fact... Paul tells Timothy in this very letter in chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. All right, so one of the things that this letter indicates is that Paul was concerned. He was concerned for Timothy, he was concerned that Timothy was in a dangerous place, that he was weakening spiritually. Paul had seen other men in his lifetime, even recently, men that he had mentored, men that he had spent time with, men that he had discipled, that had walked away from him, men that had abandoned him, men that had abandoned the faith. And now here he is at the end of his life. And the one man he had hoped to pass his mantle on to, he has concerns about. So Paul mentions some of the men in this letter that had forsaken him. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul tells us that two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, have gone astray from the truth. In chapter 4, verse 10, he shares that Demas, having loved this present age, this present world, had deserted him. Crescens had left. Titus had left. Only Luke was with him in these last days of his life. And through the letter, you see Paul encouraging Timothy to come to visit, to spend some time with him in these last days. He had concerns, and you see those concerns enumerated in chapter 1 and verse 6. Timothy says, kindle afresh your gift. Why would he need to say that if he wasn't concerned? In verse 7 he says, replace fear with power and love and a sound mind. In verse 8, he says, don't be ashamed of me in the Lord. Willingly suffer for the gospel. In verses 13 and 14, he says, retain the standard. Guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you. 
Timothy was wavering on all of these things for a variety of reasons. Pressure from within the church, pressure from without the church. It was a time of great persecution for the church. In fact, the reason that Paul is in prison now is because of the great persecution that was spawned by Nero. Nero had turned the known world against Christians. And so it wasn't just the legal system, the government that was anti-Christianity. All peoples had been turned against Christianity. So there was tremendous pressure all around Timothy without the church walls, but also within the church walls. And Timothy apparently was buckling to much of the pressure. So Paul writes to admonish him and contained in this letter there are some 25 plus imperatives, commandments that Paul makes to Timothy. But within those number of imperatives, there are two key imperatives. There are two key commandments. The first is be strong which we're going to look at this morning. And the second is preach the word. Everything else propped up those two. Those are the two key imperatives, the two key commandments in the book of 2 Timothy. That was Paul's heart for Timothy. Be strong and preach the word. So we need to understand what it is that Paul meant when he said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because in his last days, his last words, his heart for Timothy was to preach the word and not weaken and cut out and bail out and lose like so many other men had. He really, truly, desperately wanted strength. For Timothy, So if he writes, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, then there is a key there that will unlock the potential for a man to not just remain, not just stand, but be victorious, be a beacon of light for the next generation. So we need to wrestle with it some and come to some terms with what Paul meant. So the first thing that we need to understand is that God's grace is for both pardon and power. Pardon and power. And most of us understand the definition of grace in its simplest terms. It just means God's favorable, unmerited disposition toward us. We haven't done anything to earn it. God has turned his heart in his favor toward us. It is friendly toward us. It is favorable toward us. He has good plans for us, good purposes for us, good desires for us. And we haven't done anything to earn it. In fact, we've done everything that we possibly can to discourage it. We see this thought of God's favor and his disposition toward us expressed even in this very letter Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, God saved us 
And he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So from the past, before the foundation of the world, God's heart was bent toward you. And from eternity past, he had set in motion plans to woo you. Plans to bring you into his kingdom. Plans to bring you into fellowship with him. Plans to give you power and hope and purpose. And all of those plans happen in the person of Jesus Christ. The verse goes on to say, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So this thought of God's unmerited favor toward us, it's expressed repeatedly in Scripture. We see it in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's just a, a common term in Scripture in relationship to Christians. Everything is in Christ Jesus. The favor of God is found in Christ Jesus. Strength for living is found in Christ Jesus. Hope is found in Christ Jesus. Strength for service is found in Christ Jesus. Everything is in Jesus. So, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come... He might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Everything is found in Christ Jesus. And we understand forgiveness, pardon, is found in Christ Jesus. That concept, that idea, that truth, that reality, we get that. We know that Jesus is where we find forgiveness. That's found and bound up in Him. What we probably really haven't grappled with and gotten into our heart is that power to live, to serve, is bound up in that same grace that's found in Christ Jesus. There are so many men and women of God that you see across the world that take such a stand, that makes such an impressive statement with their lives that they impact people in their generation and generations to come. What makes them so unique? 
If all of us have the same access to the same resources, to the same riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, what makes them so unique? Why are they such pillars? Why is their influence radiate so far beyond them? Because they've understood something that we haven't gotten yet. Grace is for pardon, but it's also for power. We waver and we get away from that. Let me illustrate what I mean that it's for power. God causes grace as a power to abound toward us to accomplish the good work that he created us for. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. It's God's grace that's active in our life that empowers us, that strengthens us, So that we can do the work that he's called us to do. We can't do the good work that he's created us for, absent of the power that we receive from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's in the grace. we got to get this. The unmerited, undeserved, favorable disposition of God that was placed in Christ for us. God's grace enables us to work from uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. So Paul is saying, it's by God's grace that I am what I am. God's grace that called me out of darkness. God's grace that saved a wretch like me. I was the worst of sinners, but he gave me a purpose. And he had a plan for my life. And he called me out of that darkness. And he set me on the road to accomplish the purpose of my life. It was God's grace that pulled me out. And because of that, I've worked. I've worked hard. And we see that in Paul's life. We see that in his letters that he worked. He said, I worked harder than all of them. But what does he go on to say? Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul is connecting work, effort, energy, power to God's grace that's working in him and with him to accomplish the purpose. Not Paul. Not his abilities. Not his intellect. Not all of the things that he had. Paul was a brilliant man. Everybody knows that Paul was a brilliant man. People of his culture in his day knew Paul was one of the most brilliant people on the planet at that time. But Paul says, it wasn't my intellect. It wasn't the energy that I mustered up in my flesh. It was the grace of God that enabled me to do the things that he called me to do. It was God's grace working in me and with me to accomplish the purpose that he had for my life. Not me. We cannot accomplish the purpose that God has for us absent of the grace of God that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll drift. We'll get off point. We'll struggle. We'll miss the mark. We'll waste our lives. What Paul is telling Timothy, we have got to get. 
We need strength for service. All of us have a purpose. All of us have a plan. We're not accidents. God created us for a reason. Your moments in time, this little segment of time that you have been plotted in, God has a purpose. He has an agenda for you. You'll miss it if you don't get this. That's how important this is. Paul knew that was true for Timothy. He was concerned about it. And God knows it's true for us. And that's why we still have 2 Timothy in the Bible. There's one more passage I want us to look at there in regard to grace as a power. Titus 2, 11 and 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. This is God's grace being worked out in the person of Jesus Christ, bringing salvation, instructing in godliness, purifying a people for his own possession, and supplying the abundance for every good deed. So God's grace is for both pardon and for power. So the question then, how do I draw from this wellspring of grace? How do I scoop out strength out of the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Because that's really what's important. That's where the rubber meets the road. We need to know how we do that. Don't just do it. How do you do it? You know, we teach uh, tomahawks at the camp, and we try to teach a multiplicity of different lessons from that. But one of the lessons we teach with tomahawks is discipleship. And you get men that come out there, and they're throwing, and they're throwing, and they miss, and they can't stick the tomahawk. And you teach them the basic structure, the fundamentals of how to throw, and then they still can't throw and hit anything. And so what you have to teach them is if you've got one guy out throwing and you've got a whole team that's behind them, that's watching them, and all they're telling them is do a better job. You know, and guys like to razz other guys. And we have kids do it too. It's not just guys. It's also ladies. So, but they just do a better job or they you know, have some kind of derogatory comment. You can't do a better job than what you're doing without some kind of information. So the thing that really turns the switch for them is when we give them uh, insight as to how to critique their partner. They need to understand how they're missing the target before they know how to make corrections to hit the target. Right? So we give them a little information about how to critique and that they should be watching and helping with the critique. And then once they do that, then... Like that, people start hitting the target. It's super important to know not just how you're missing. That's good. You need to know that. 
And you need to know that you should be hitting the target. But if we don't know how to do it, if nobody conveys that information, you're just going to miss all day long. The information of knowing that you should hit it and that you're not hitting it isn't going to help. So Paul doesn't leave us hanging. It looks like it in the English, but he doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us exactly what we need to do to scoop this strength out of this wellspring of grace. Paul's exhortation here is made in the present passive in the Greek. And what that really means for us is that this is something we're being commanded to do, yes. It's a commandment to do it. It's an imperative to do it. But it's something that happens to us. It's not something we muster up inside of us. It's, it's an outside force that's coming upon us, that's happening to us. So we could actually uh, better read Paul's statement this way. Keep on being empowered. It's something that needs to continually happen. It's not a one-time event. And it's something that happens from an outside force to us. It's something that comes upon us. But it's something that we allow to happen. Keep on being empowered. Allow God's power to flow through you. Or maybe even a better way for us to grapple with it and understand what it is that Paul's saying is put yourself in a position to be empowered. It's one of those paradoxes of Scripture. We see them all over the place in Scripture. Um, for instance, Romans 8.39 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says that, doesn't it? But in Jude verse 21, it says that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Nothing can separate us. From the love of God. But we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. You see these kind of paradoxes all over the scripture. That indicates a co-laboring with God. God's doing the work. But there's something that we do that allows that work. Facilitates that work in our life. We are co-laborers with him. He's doing it. But there's something we do that allows it to take place, that facilitates it. So how do I work with God to allow him to affect this strengthening in my life? That's the real question then. And here's the answer. It's not complicated. I know you guys are probably looking for some incredibly deep theological, doctrinal answer to this. It's not complicated. Most things in faith aren't simple enough for a child to grasp. We make them complicated. Here's the answer. Look to Jesus and believe in him. That's what God has saved. We look to Jesus, we believed, and we responded in the way that the scripture prescribed. And we were ushered into the kingdom. Right? Ephesians 1.13 says, In him... 
You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This isn't a foreign idea of the scripture. Romans 10, 17 says the same thing. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What you know and believe becomes the power for what you do. That's a simple truth. It's not complicated. It's easy. Your duties flow out of doctrine. It's what you know and believe that designs your behavior. That's a simple reality. We heard the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believed it to be true. And we responded in the prescribed way. And salvation is that simple. Saved by grace through faith. The faith life is lived out the very same way. We never walk away from that fundamental truth. We don't. It's constantly every single day looking to Jesus and believing and responding to what he says about us. We hear the word, we believe the word, we respond to the word. It's the faith-based response to the word that puts us in a position to be strengthened That's the only part that we play in allowing God to do the strengthening in our lives. So grace is the source of strength, and that grace is found in Christ Jesus, the living word. So look to the living word. But just so it's not too elementary for you, let me just explain how we don't do that. Uh, I would assume most of you get up, read your Bible every day. Most of you pray every day. I would assume that is reality for you. I hope it is. But reading and praying aren't enough. Responding is a key element. Responding. The faith life is not a playground. It is a war zone. And there are forces from within and without that are constantly coming to bear upon our minds and our hearts. There are distractions that pull at our attention. And we are in constant need of the truth of the gospel. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. I need to know today, this morning, before I step behind this podium, that Jesus loves me. I need to know that I am in his favor. I need to know that he has a purpose and a plan for my life. When I believe those truths, which are 
talked about frequently in Scripture. When I believe those truths and respond to those truths, I stand here before you with some power to proclaim the Scripture. If I didn't believe those things, I could not stand here. I couldn't make the proclamations I'm making this morning with any sense of power. But I believe those things. But but between the time I leave here and tomorrow morning, there will be lies and assaults that will come against my heart and my mind that will call those things into question again. So what do I need tonight before I go to bed? I need the gospel. What do I need in the morning before I get out to work again? I need the gospel. What do I need before lunchtime? I need the gospel. We need the grace that is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace, that unmerited favor, that friendly, favorable disposition of God toward us. It's only then that we can be effective. It's only then when we step out in faith and act in accordance with those truths that God showers us with his blessings and he pours out his strength in us to accomplish the things he wanted us to. I'll just give you just a quick example. And this is actually way off of my notes. I don't have it in here. But Joshua. In Joshua 1, Joshua takes the mantle from Moses. He's told to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. He's told that every place that his foot steps, that they're going to take possession of that. And Joshua's told, don't fear. Be strong. Three times in the first chapter, God tells Joshua, don't fear. Be strong. And all through Scripture, you're going to see a connection between strength and courage. Pastor Byron talked about it last week with Zerubbabel. He was told to be courageous, to be courageous, to be courageous. Be strong. Do what you were told to do. And that's what Joshua was told. He said, just do what I tell you to do. You'll receive my blessings. And here's the key. I'll be with you. That's where strength comes. When you have God. If God be for us, who can be against us? But when we believe that God is not for us, guess what? We act and behave outside of that reality. You are going to live out in your life, in your thinking, in your feeling, and in your doing the things that you believe in your heart. So you might have the information. It might be written in the pages of Scripture. You might have read it that morning. You might have even prayed that morning. But if you don't act on that, you will see no power. God is for us. He demonstrated that in Jesus. He gave his only begotten son. What more does he have to do? Our strength is bound to the grace that's been demonstrated in Christ Jesus. We need that strength for service. Timothy needed this strength. All sorts of things were being called into question. Again, without and within the church. Who knows what doubts, what fears, what voices he was hearing. 
But all sorts of truth that he had come to believe and act on were being called into question. And he was wavering. He was weakening. And Paul knew it. So his admonition to Timothy, go back to the fundamental thing. Go back to Jesus. Listen to what he said about you. God's favor for humanity is bound up in him. God's favor for Bobby Tibbles is bound up in Jesus. We don't have life outside of him. Period. Our life is wholly bound to his. And when we live that out in our life, that's when we see real strength. You cannot come to Christ and remain an individual. You can't. You'll die. Your life is bound up in His. And His is bound up in you. Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. We need that for the service that God has intended for us. We all have a mission. I'm just going to touch on a few of these things just real briefly. Pastor Byron has been uh, talking about this over the past couple of weeks with our look at Haggai. Uh, but look at verse 2 real quick. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We all have a mission. We all have a purpose uh, we need to listen for God's mission. We need to line up our life with the mission. We need to leverage God's provisions for the mission. We need to look for the opposition. Uh, and we need to expect it. And we need to live courageously and with holy conduct. These are the things that Pastor Byron has been talking about over the past couple of weeks. Timothy's mission, his responsibility was to take the things that had been entrusted to him and pass those things on to other faithful, gifted men that would be able to pass those things on to the next generation. Timothy was a torch bearer. Timothy had a huge responsibility to the generation that came before him, to the generation that had worked, who had slaved, who had labored to bring the gospel to him. Timothy had a responsibility to the future generations. If he doesn't get this right, it dies with him. Let that sink in to you. You have a purpose. There's a reason you're here. You're not an accident. God built you in such a way that you could carry the gospel message to a unique people group that only you could reach. If you mess it up, they don't get it. You have a responsibility. The things that Paul had heard from Timothy, chapter 1, verse 13, the standard of sound words, verse 14, is a treasure, as Paul talks about it. In Romans six seventeen, he calls it uh, this form of teaching. In Acts 20, 26, and 27, uh, he refers to it as the whole purpose or counsel of God. 
It's this. We know that. It's this. Timothy's mission responsibility was to take the treasure of the body of teaching that encompassed the whole purpose of God and find other faithful men, gifted teachers, to entrust this responsibility to. Let me tell you what that meant for Timothy. He didn't have a life of his own. Timothy had to be strategic with his moments. He had to be intentional with his time with his relationships. He wasn't given an option. Where he invested, it needed to pay off. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to make investments in people's lives. We need to be strategic. We need to be intentional. We can't afford to blow it. And I'm telling you, the enemy is strategic. The enemy is not treating life haphazardly. The enemy is roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I didn't understand what that meant. And so one day I sat down and said, well, if Lord's using this as an illustration, I just kind of want to see how a lion hunts. Go look up a video how a lion hunts buffalo, just for instance. I mean, it is so strategic. You wouldn't think that an animal has that kind of strategy capability. But the lion group parts out to different pieces. Long before they even approach the buffalo, they plant lions in different places. They try to funnel the buffalo into a very specific direction where they have the, the different lions so they can capture them. And the first step in getting the buffalo to move is one lion has to charge the group. Now, the buffalo, they're a huge herd. They know that the lions are uh, a very powerful, dangerous animal, so they put their strong bulls on the outside. They put their weak and their young on the inside. And so when the lions charge, as long as the strong bulls stand fast, nothing happens. But if one of them runs, the rest of them run, and the lion has accomplished its strategy. We're told that the enemy has strategies. We're told not to be ignorant of them. The enemy is working to keep us from fulfilling God's purpose in our life. We need to look at life the way that God wants us to. It is a very narrow window of opportunity to fulfill the work he's given us to do. Don't treat it haphazardly. The enemy's not. So Paul didn't want Timothy to drop the ball. He wanted him to continue to carry the message on to the next generation. So this requirement, uh, this mission requires commitment, discipline, and character. And we're not going to get into all of the other verses, but I just wanted to touch on just a few things, uh, just a next few seconds that we have here. He gives them a picture of a soldier. He gives them a picture of an athlete. He gives them a picture of a farmer. All of these pictures, all of these individuals are known. They're renowned for their strength. Uh, a soldier is known for his strength of commitment. They have to endure hardships. They avoid the entanglements of everyday life. They separate from everything else that normal society does just so that they can serve. He seeks to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is known for his strength of discipline. 
He's known for beating his body into submission and making it his slave. He follows all of the prescriptions and mandates that are necessary so that he can form his body into a tool. The farmer is known for his strength of character. They work hard. They're patient. They're faithful in the mundane tasks that they have to perform day in and day out just to keep the farm running. And they're hopeful for a future harvest. Timothy's mission success depended on strength from grace, strength for commitment, strength for discipline, strength for character. And then just the last thing that we see there. In verse 7, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. There's weeks worth of Bible study just in that one verse, because that one verse tells us how to study the Bible. That one verse tells us you can't approach it superficially. It's not a cursory review of the things that are said. It's a... It's an investment in pondering and thinking and laboring and praying and seeking God's help. And it's another paradox. We're responsible to dig out the truth, but it's God that reveals those things to us. But Paul tells Timothy to consider, think about all the things that he was telling him in relation to his ministry responsibilities. Consider the weight of it. Consider where you get the strength from. Consider what that picture of your role looks like. That's another thing that the army got right. There is strength in purpose. There is strength in your identity as a soldier. When you understand that it's a war zone, when you understand that you're competing for a crown, When you understand that there's fruit that must be planted, it must be watered, it must be dug up, and it must be harvested. When you understand the work and the toil that's involved in that, when you understand the level of commitment and the things that you have to disassociate yourself from, when you understand the discipline, the things that you have to force yourself to do to accomplish the purpose, when you know that that's what it looks like, That is enabling in and of itself. When we look at life and we see all these hardships and difficulties and labors and pains, we think, well, this can't be right. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Keep marching on. All right. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you press it into our hearts. Don't let us hear it and not receive it and not obey it, Lord. And we say, blessed are those who hear and obey the things that you say. So let us... Ponder them, consider them, think about them, wrestle with them. Lord, and you give us the understanding as we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.